No changes are given. And this is the No Change Given podcast with me, Sophia Herod. It's a podcast all about change. And the guests who join me pave the way for a new and better world. Right now, I have Alistair Lynn with me. And we actually know each other from back in the day when he was my best friend's neighbour and also my theatre studies at at college. You were my theatre studies group, weren't you? Um, and you yeah. were the the stud in the play, <laughs> the um, eligible bachelor in the play that I played, weren't you, um, for our A-level piece. So, yeah, we, we've known each other for quite a while, but you've got quite a story to tell, haven't you, Alistair? Sadly, uh, I do. I have gone through so much in the last four years with um, essentially a, my, my cancer diagnosis, which I'm going to try and explain to you in the little time that we have. Um, so I'm going to just crack on straight into it. So great, go for it. In 2019, um, I went on the most incredible um, uh, trip to Japan with my parents. And my parents are in their 70s. So I spent most of the time just thinking about them, dragging them around Japan. Uh, it's a completely different culture to us here. And my parents being, you know, typical <laughs> um, 20th century, my dad's pretty much a war baby. Um, it was a, it was such an interesting experience seeing how they reacted to that. But once we got back to the UK, everything changed because I became the main the main uh subject um so as soon as I got off the plane I started experiencing symptoms I did have a little bit of um early kind of warning signs whilst I was in Japan which was basically uh pain now that pain was in my testicle so you're probably getting an idea of what we're going to be talking about in today's podcast. When I got back, I was admitted to hospital because essentially, now I hope your listeners are going to be okay with this because I don't really hold back uh, on this stuff. Uh, this is an but, open um, platform, so anyone listening, get on board. Uh, so um, as I said, I had got back from Japan, lovely holiday. First meal I had, which was my girlfriend's uh, mother's lasagna, which normally is a incredibly delicious dish, and I was really looking forward to. Half an hour after consuming it, I had to rush to the toilet. Now I thought, hang on a second, Veronica's cooking isn't this bad. She normally makes this dish extremely well. Um, and basically, what happened was I started bleeding into the toilet. And at first I thought, have I eaten some beetroot? Have I, is, is there a reason for this? So I thought, you know what, we'll get on to, you know, one, 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 is it? Or? Oh yes, one, 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 when you call, non-emergency, but yeah, yeah, for the doctor, yes, yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, we, we were in a waiting line and then suddenly I went again. And what I was producing, Again, sorry, listeners, but I was producing black slugs. Um, and that meant to me that I was bleeding quite high up in my digestive system. Yeah. Now, the reason I say that is because I am actually a, my profession is a specialist dietitian. Uh, and I work 
ironically, uh, in oncology and cancer. So my job was to treat cancer patients. And suddenly I was getting symptoms that were very similar to some of the diagnosing symptoms of the people that I look after on the wards in my hospital. Mm. Um, so immediate worry. Um, and we ditched the 111 line and jumped in an Uber to the nearest hospital, mm -hmm. uh, which was Kingston Hospital. And I spent about a week there going through tests. They, they wouldn't let me go home because basically what was happening was they did some bloods, some basic checks. And every time I was trying to get up to go to leave the hospital, my blood pressure was dropping so much. They were like, hmm, you've actually lost far too much blood for us to let you go. We're going to have to admit you overnight and just find out what on earth is going on. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm cool with that. That's fine. Um, yeah, so, in the best place then, aren't you? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, um, sorry, um, the, the dog's wandering around. If you're wondering what's going on or, or it's making any sounds because I can't even hear noticed. anything. No, I've not even noticed, but dogs are welcome as cool. well. It's fine. <laughs> yes. um, so, so. I had a, a week in Kingston Hospital going through every investigation they could think of. You know, they were thinking, hmm, uh, does he have a tropical disease? Because I was eating raw eggs, I was eating oysters whilst I was in Japan, things like that. So they were looking uh, for any bacterial infections, um, things in my blood. You know, meanwhile, I was being pumped full of a blood that um sorry of, of blood to refuel my um stocks because unfortunately i was still going to the toilet nearly every few hours even though i was on um specific specific drugs that were designed designed to help clot my blood but this was the thing um you know uh i was i was on blood all sorts of things trying to do things to my blood you know thin my blood but also thicken my blood uh it was quite a you know worrying time because i was in the middle of this fainting and having to be put on um the bed like the bed and moved to the i was i was crippled basically mm -hmm. by this How and did i was feel being there like were you yeah did you feel like it was like you just felt kind of out of control i suppose and completely unaware well, of what was going on you could say out of control or you could say completely out of it in terms of I was living in a, a bit of a dream world. You know, I was I was on I was I was having to have my blood replaced. So I was just feeling very, very faint, uh, faint and tired all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and once once we went through you know, um, doing basic investigations, we started looking a little bit further. So we knew I was bleeding from the gut because the the the, the stool was black. Um, and normally, if it's uh, if it's closer to the the bottom end of the bleeding, it tends to be to be red. But if it's black, you know, it's further up the system mm -hmm. because it's had time to digest the blood. But uh, with me, uh, we were a little bit worried it was a little bit higher. So after me asking ages and ages and ages, going through um, a 
OGD, which is an endoscopy, which is the tube down into my stomach, uh, and a uh, colonoscopy, which is a, um, a, a camera going up the, the other end. Uh, they couldn't find anything. It looked perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. And uh, I, uh, I'm just trying to think what happened after that. We, we basically had to ask them, like, politely to, please, can you do every possible scan that you think could help with this, uh, whether it's, um, you know, an MRI or a CT. And they said, mm, we're not sure it's going to help, but we'll give it a go because we tried everything else. Mm -hmm. So they did it. And immediately um, after doing a CT angio, which looks at how your blood is, you know, uh, being used by the body in places where it's all being uh, directed to they realized I had a, a big bleed um, in my gut area and what we found out after that is that this was actually a necrotic lymph node that had decided to basically tunnel itself into my small intestine uh, and that is where my cancer had originated from uh, the next news uh, that followed immediately after that um, with all my family in my room, um, in the room with me, mm -hmm. um, was that they said, that's that's not the only thing. Uh, there is more. Uh, so unfortunately, the cancer has done something called uh, metastasis. It's um, moved to different places in your body. So it's not just in that lymph node uh, that's sitting um, in the back of your abdomen, right next to your heart, and also tunneling into your intestine. Uh, it's decided to move to your liver, both lungs. And after me requesting for a brain scan, because I was starting to see stuff on my right side, they said, yeah, it's in your brain too. Um, so the next day, the very next day, I was shipped to the Royal Marsden, because the team at Kingston, they said, okay, this guy presently is on his way out. He's dying. We need to put him somewhere where he is going to get specialist care for his, uh, for his cancer. And that was it. But, you know, I've been diagnosed with cancer then and there. Um, and, you know, the, as I said, the very next day I was at the Royal Marsden uh, in uh, Sutton and they were plugging me in to chemo. I didn't have any time to sperm bank. Uh, I didn't have any time to really be thinking. As I as I said, I was practically dying because uh, mm -hmm. I was, you know, losing blood, and it was just uh, I was just about getting it topped up before I would lose it all again. And um, I was put on a very very serious treatment called CBOP. Uh, and just to, just to tell you how serious this kind of um, this chemo regime is uh, it in about four months you get given about a hundred bags of chemo um, now that sounds you know ridiculous bizarre but every day uh, I would be having three bags of chemo and I would occasionally get a bit of a break for things to recuperate my blood cells, my um, my immune system to recuperate until I got absolutely bombarded by more chemo over and over and over again. And it did a fantastic job. Um, 
Good. In terms of when I say fantastic, it pretty much sorted out the majority of um, of the cancer in the various different organs. It really shrunk them down. But if we think about where I'm at today, mm-hmm. um, I've gone through four years, nearly four years now of what I still call my initial fight with cancer. You know, I've never really had a significant amount of time off, uh, which some would would maybe call uh, a bit of a a remission. I've never had like a true remission where I've been off chemo or some kind of treatment for for a significant amount of time. So now, um, instead of just having 100 um, bags of chemo, I've, I've reached 280 infusions of chemo um and i will be doing a few more um in the coming months i think i'm going to reach 300 infusions of chemo before the end of this year which i don't know maybe i should apply for the world book of records Um, (laughs) and that's all in the space of four years in the space of four years yeah and also that first time you went to hospital as well how long was that so you were in for a week was it before they realized it was cancer how long were you yeah. in there yeah yeah so it was this was quite in quick King... yeah this was in kingston hospital uh and they um it, they had to rich literally start from the ground up on you know this this guy is his occupation is a dietitian he recommends people on how to live healthily he goes to the gym five times a week he's a healthy person um you know, this this isn't someone that you would expect to happen with cancer. And this is the thing about cancer. It's completely in, indiscriminate. Like, you know, you, you, you know, one in two people are affected by cancer. And it it's just, uh, it's just not fair. Um, we so there's all no, it. there's no sort of cause for it. There's nothing that kind of can spark the, the so, start of cancer or is there? So there is obviously various different factors as to why people might get cancer now there's always a genetic factor in terms of is there a family history um and you know i believe that in my case if i you know if there was a genetic factor it did unfortunately come from my mother's side um because both her parents died before she actually got to really get to know them so when she was very young um and that I think um does make her sometimes feel a little bit guilty but she mustn't that's not how it works at all um and I feel very sad when she she thinks that or, or even it, it comes into her head because it's it's just biology and it's it's chaotic cancer is is very chaotic thing it's you know it's multiplying cells you know uncontrolled multiplication of these you know malproduced cells um but you know other factors that can affect people getting cancer is their lifestyle you know what they're eating are they having too much processed food um are they are they you know obese not looking after their health in that regard or not getting enough exercise um and Yes, there there are other some other factors as well. Um, for example, smoking, 
Um, but you know, um, but it's it, but you got it, and you are healthy, and you had you knew the right nutrients to to eat, and um, you were obviously advising cancer patients on how to look after their own health as well, which is unbelievable, really, isn't just it? Just a bit ironic. <laughs> so ironic, like it's it's almost sort of like this. Do you think it's helped you having that knowledge, though? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's really sparked a memory for me. Um, when I was diagnosed with my cancer, uh, I looked around the room and the first thing I, th- I thought of was, you know, who's going to look after my family? Um, uh, who's going to look after, you know, my girlfriend? And I, you know, I know that most people, when they're told that they have cancer, it's it's an absolute disaster. It's, you know, they, it's a really, really negative thing for them. Um, they're thinking, you know, almost of the comparison of their life flashing before their eyes, you know, that, that the worst outcome is going to happen. Whereas I think I'm a little bit different in terms of I thought, okay, so I've got the knowledge because I've been basically treating cancer patients for the past four years um additionally um i love the science um i'm happy to read scientific journals papers try and get the right information i'm happy to take this on because i've got you know i've got the strength i've got the physique i think i've got the mental fortitude as well and i decided you know what if if i can't beat it then no one like can because i I'm I'm fully equipped to do so. I've got, as I said, I've got I've got all the tools. I just need to apply them properly. And you know, I've I've gone to uni. I've learned how to do this, and I've been practicing for eight years now. And um, so far, I I do feel like you know the the I've applied what I can to keep me going through all this crippling treatment and. You know, I haven't even mentioned to you all the other stuff that I've done, as well as chemo. I've actually, my cancer is called germ cell cancer, and it's slightly different in terms of germ means germination. So it's a sex cell cancer that could have been left in my body from when I was uh, a fetus or um, even a, you know, an egg or sperm cell or part of the, the reproduction cells um and so that you know that type of cancer is a very kind of it's not rare i've met plenty of people who have it but obviously that's because they're on the same wards as me and things like that but um Mm -hmm. uh it it is it is quite difficult to treat it tends to grow back quite quickly um as soon as you've got rid of it so you know it's been in, it's been four years of victories suddenly what you know a few months later i'll realize oh no it's back and it's been a constant cycle you know and other things that i've been through i've had two brain surgeries uh, you can't see in the camera right now um but um they, he went in the same place twice uh, and i i've been so lucky to one um not have a huge amount of disability from those different surgeries uh because 
I did have to sign a piece of paper um, when um, when when agreeing to these surgeries in in my brain um, to say if I wake up half paralyzed, I you know it's it's a result of the surgery. Um, it wasn't intentional. Uh, there's nothing I can I can't I can't sue the doctors or anything like that. Um, unfortunately, it's just a side effect, and I had to you know be put to sleep knowing. This could be the last time I can use the right side of my body properly. Um, fortunately, both times, I don't know, I have a guardian angel or something. Um, uh, I woke up and I was able to use my phone within a few days. Um, and that was a relief both times because mm -hmm. both these surgeries were separated by about six months or so. Um, six months, yeah. Um, because unfortunately they had to go back into my brain uh, because it it started regrowing again. Um, I've also had various different types of radio surgery. So typical, I've had I've had typical full brain radiotherapy, which was done. You know, we're talking about this being done kind of 2020, <clears throat> and also uh, I've been using a really really we we consider it quite a new technology but actually it's been around for 20 years um particularly in other countries like america and uh it's a it's a machine called cyberknife now it sounds like it's going to be some kind of surgical tool or something like that but actually mm -hmm. it's a, a radiotherapy um piece of equipment that it, it looks like the only, way I, the only way I can describe it is that it looks like the Picasso advert where those machines are making Picasso cars and then they write the name Picasso on the side. So in a car factory, you've got those machines that put together cars and that's what this machine basically does when you're put into it. It, it, it moves around. Uh, in my case, it was my head. Um, but it was moving around and shooting protons, these different types of radiotherapy, uh, at different angles, avoiding healthy tissue and hitting all the, the, the negative, the bad tissue that we wanted to get out of my yeah. system. Yeah, so it, it can actually pass through healthy tissue and then suddenly become applied where exactly where we want it to the accuracy of point one of a millimeter or something along those lines mm -hmm. and um it means that you can go through this procedure a few times i've gone through it now eight times they won't give it to me anymore because of the risk of uh damaging my brain now uh but mm -hmm. um uh it's um it's just an absolutely incredible technology and you know, i've spoken about it at events uh for the royal mars and stuff like that and it's uh uh to an extent, you know, it saved my life multiple times, but mm -hmm. so have so many other treatments that the Royal Marsden uh, has given me, you know, and I just, I just, I, sometimes I wonder how big the bill of looking after me and keeping me alive for these past four years, obviously worth it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the bill for keeping me alive with all these different treatments um must be multi-million and i'm not even joking wow. um thank you nhs taxpayers you're <laughs> wonderful i love you um 
but um well it just shows it's worth know. it you know you're inspiring <laughs> others as well with it and you know it could happen to any of us this is the thing it could happen to any of us but it's nice to hear that you are getting good treatment as well and I mean it must take a lot of guts to know that you're going to go through something shooting into your brain that's like this new age technology to to take that on and to sign that piece of paper how do you find the strength to do that um uh, I'm very much so a person of just my my belief pattern is that if it's got to be done it's got to be done um i'm just doing what the doctors advise me really and I, and the mm-hmm. thing is it's that bond of trust that was established really really early on with my team uh the urology team because my cancer is technically a urological disease because it originated in the testicles even though it didn't it originated in my abdomen my cancer just it has a really bad habit of growing back now what's the longest you've gone so far i'd say two months really really and ideally you want to be at least three months before you can call it like an official remission okay Uh, and so that's why i always keep telling people i'm in my initial battle with cancer and you know as far as I'm aware, most people, when they say they're in their initial battle with chemo, they're normally expecting to be battling for one to two years. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of cancer patients that are like, when they're watching this podcast, will be shouting, I've been battling it for much longer than that. But, you know, when 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 um, when it's been monotonous, you know, just constant, constant, constant uh, treatment. Um, you know, and I, 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 it's a little bit, I feel it's a little bit different um, yes, for me. Yes, absolutely. And let's, um, just, let's just point out quickly how old you are. What age were you I'm diagnosed? 33. I hit 33 at the weekend. Woohoo! Uh, Every yeah. But, but what age were you diagnosed? Uh, 29. There we go. So that's very young, isn't it? You know, and it's, it's, yeah. it's different yeah. when you're in that time of your life, when you as you say, you want to be thinking about having a family and things like that. That's um, So that's something to note as well, yeah. to have the mental strength to be able to deal with it at that young age is a big yeah. deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, I've, as, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting to a point now with my cancer where, you know, I am learning to really live with it uh, in terms of, where we're at with my cancer and you know to give you a little bit of a summary of where we are at the major issue that i tend to have at the moment is actually seizures as a side effect from the two brain surgeries that i've had now no brain likes having metal tweezers or whatever put into into it and fiddled with and then removing pieces which is essentially what i've had done to me twice Mm -hmm. and um and the side effect that I've been left with, uh, which are not that bad, is that I'm on a very high dose of two different anticonvulsants, or also known as anti-epileptic um, medicines. And what they do is they essentially keep me sedated. Um, but as you can see, you know, I'm full of energy, full of life most of the time. And I mm-hmm. think that's probably due to my mentality. Um, but um, uh, yeah, essentially, I am sedated most of the time. And uh, if I have caffeine, I'm in trouble. It can actually turn on 
or stimulate one of my uh, seizures. And I've had, I think, about seven seizures, proper, proper seizures now, and they're called tonic-clonic seizures. Mm -hmm. And they are where you are writhing around on the floor, kind of, you, you snap backwards and then start writhing around on the floor, frothing at the mouth. Um, paramedics oh. had to hold me down, stuff like that. So that's are they dangerous me. in themselves? The seizures can uh, they can they be dangerous for you? The the seizures. Mm. So you will re recover in terms of I, I completely black out. I don't know I'm doing it, but I I will be fighting off anyone who comes near me. It, I will seem like I'm a very very aggressive drunk and also kind of frothing at the mouth and. You know, the ones that I've had, they've had to clear the floor for me and I've just, you know, got through it um, whilst they're kind of trying to get a needle into me to inject some diazepam to calm me down. Mm -hmm. um, but we haven't had anything serious like that for, for multiple years now. And we're actually getting really, really good at, at, at managing the, um, the different drugs. And okay. it's mean it's meant that I am able to go out to parties. I'm able to drink alcohol, um, not a huge amount of alcohol, but enough to you know a, a few drinks. Mm -hmm. um, and also, yeah, I just have to be very very careful with coffee, um, coffee and stimulants and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I. I, I can't really be a lot happier, you know, in terms of the fact that I'm not disabled. Uh, I'm still able to have this kind of conversation with you. I'm able to share my story and I'm 65,000 words through a book. So um, that's very uh, exciting. It is very exciting and um, I am very, very thankful. And as I say multiple times in the book, you know, I can't help but think that there's, you know, some miraculous force that has got me here because the stuff, the, the, you know, the odds have just been stacked against me. And, you know, I, I can't not thank, uh, thank the, the fact that science and, and, all these amazing technologies that I've been exposed to and um, have had done to me and all the, you know, all this, all this amazing, these amazing things that have come into the, the world uh, have helped me. But at the end of the day, also, um, you know, my friends, my family, I myself have helped my, myself to, to get this far. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, I think that should be, celebrated shared and you know used for inspiration and that's that's why i want to do this podcast my instagram i try to do as much as i can but it's just it's sometimes difficult sometimes the fatigue that you get as a cancer patient is just so hard to, to get up and do something um this is what i was going to ask you because you're you look so energetic now but what what is this what is the cancer treatment actually like what toll does it take on your body what symptoms do you get as a result of all of this treatment apart from you know the, the seizures and things like that what else do you feel on in the moment so a lot of a lot of you know different patients will have 
different um, side effects from their their cancer. But you you often get a booklet. Um, you know, I, I, my mine was given to me by the Royal Marsden. You know, there's also Macmillan. There's My Cancer Research. All these different um, places that you can get really really good resources uh, all about the symptoms and side effects of cancer. And I'd say the one that really has affected me the most. Um, it hasn't been nausea, it hasn't been, um, you know, uh, changes in bowel symptoms or anything like that. I won't mm -hmm. go into it. Obviously, my the beginning of my cancer was terrifying because I was just producing blood. But mm. um, now I have perfectly normal. Um, <laughs> and, I, and sometimes I can't believe that, you know, what was a tumour progressing into my small intestine decided to, because how aggressively this chemo was treating it, 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 it kind of, it removed itself from my small intestine and my small intestine has completely healed up normally and I've got a completely normally functioning bowel again. And like, to me, that boggles the mind because essentially there, there would have been a hole there. And I was thinking, isn't that just going to cause another problem of just things going into my my yeah, abdomen outside of yeah exactly exactly but no it all Amazing. healed up absolutely fine um again which is just mar miraculous to mm. me um but um as i said i haven't i've been very very lucky with balancing um nausea and and side effects um and that's because i know i studied the drugs when i was at university i know about how different drugs will speed up your gut and help with nausea and then other things like um you know uh laxatives and different things all all the different ways that they can interact um and counteract um things like nausea constipation diarrhea and i've used them properly whereas i think some people are in sometimes in such pain or they are so fed up they they don't use things properly like for example when you're when you want to get the most um effective um use from a anti-sickness medication it's important that it's been taken 20 minutes before the meal arrives because if you get the smell of hot food it tends to instantly promote those feelings of nausea. And if, if you haven't got the, the drug in the system preventing the nausea that you'll get from that, then the meal's probably going to immediately put you off and you'll probably refuse it or something along, along those lines. Um, mm. You might also want to just eat cold food because that, that um, aroma that can come from hot food can can put you off as well. Um, or there's things like eating sharp flavors like lemon. You know, some people just pour lemon all over their food and, and salt and pepper, things that are just really uh, not aggressive, but like um, powerful flavors that, that, that can cover things up. And then, um, you know, um, different, different types of cancers like head and neck cancers where they've had radiotherapy to the throat. Um, I've, I've sat and on bays with patients that have gone through that and they really have a tough time with, you know, dryness. 
they have to have artificial saliva, all these kind of things. Um, you know, I'm trying to talk to you about the symptoms and side effects, but um, what was the was, what you said? Was, there was one though that specifically fatigue. Fatigue. Yeah, right? the fatigue okay. was the one that got to me the most. Now, because I've gone through so much radiotherapy, um, cyber knife therapy to my brain and stuff like that. They've always said to me, um, and obviously brain therapy, brain surgery as well. They've said to me, you will probably take, you know, it will take years and years and years for you to recover fully from all the work that's been done to your brain. Um, oh you will, you know, you will probably have fatigue for the rest of your life in terms of there will just be days where you just don't want to get out of bed. There will be days where um you will need naps and i've i have now embraced the naps sorry did i say naps <laughs> no you said I naps I and I, I, I love a nap as well but i yeah. i mean i've had no treatment or no need to take naps <laughs> but i do yeah. so i'd be hopeful but i i have had to embrace naps um and just accept that you know what I need half an hour, I need mm -hmm. an hour, and I really wake up refreshed um, sometimes, other times I don't, Good. but it's worth a try. And, How do you balance um, that with work as well? Because you've I obviously got your own business, haven't you? So what, you know, with the Instagram I've, and everything. I've wanted, I've wanted to properly go back to work because, you know, I, at first I was feeling guilty that, you know that my colleagues that I used to know and the department that I, I I previously left has changed a little bit with different colleagues kind of joining and leaving and all that kind of stuff but mm -hmm. I you know I still really want to try and get back to where I was working before but I know that I will probably never be able to function at the same level that I previously did mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because I write slower I type slower I get very, very frustrated now when I'm trying to type because I will, my, my spelling is completely messed up. <laughs> I need autocorrect to pretty much write paragraphs now. Um, mm -hmm. And um, that's quite troublesome when you're trying to get through a book. Um, but I, I persist and yes. I, you know, it'll, I'll, I'll spend, I'll spend sometimes an hour to two hours just writing half a page and sometimes that's just what I've got to do um mm -hmm. other times I can write a little bit faster it's not consistent in terms of what's you know what or what I can expect I'm able to do which is quite interesting I find you've always been a very able person that's the thing you've always been very intelligent and you know so that can I can imagine must be quite frustrating but mm. as you say it's still there it just it's just that it takes a bit longer for you basically yeah, um, but I, I often, you know, uh, and this is a side effect of the brain surgery, I get confused about very simple, basic things. And that that can be the most frustrating thing, that, that I know that I'm a lot, you know, more able, and yet I am struggling to spell the word like the. Um, okay. <laughs> That's an extreme <laughs> example, but I'm, I'm sometimes I am, you know, trying to to spell words that are the kind of words you you learn in 
you know primary school and it's mm-hmm. just like why why is this happening to me but yeah. it sometimes it's just telling me like Alistair you've been working on this for an hour and a half like you're, you're tired you mm-hmm. probably just need to to take a break or even a nap um <laughs> so so yeah but I I have been kind of learning recently that the the shared frustration of the whole cancer community about fatigue you know it's a big big deal um for the whole of the cancer community and we kind of all accept it yeah of course we've gone through a chronic disease we're expecting a chronic symptom like fatigue mm-hmm. and um yeah um yeah you, i i see some really inspirational people that i follow on instagram and they they just say hi guys i'm still here i'm just taking some time out and Good. You completely yeah. understand when you see that. Yes. Um, that I know. I know what they're feeling at the moment. They just don't want that pressure of you know having to to, to post something every every few days, every day. And um, good on them, like for just saying, "I'm taking some time out." That's that's fine. So, and I think that's yeah. quite an important thing, isn't it, to see things like that, to see people just being honest and. But has coming back to sort of so your girlfriend? Are you? St- do you mind if I ask? Are you still together? You t- the two of you? So we're not, unfortunately. And this okay. is the thing, you know. Um, we have become best friends, and oh, over the nice. over the course of um, uh, four years, she has become, you know, so important in terms of managing me. Um, <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, but nursing me and almost mothering me our dynamic has completely changed mm-hmm. and you know whilst that is sad in some respects like it it it's not we we're living together still but planning on separating um <clears throat> just because it's it's important for us to both get on with our separate lives you know she's she's um going back to university i want to get back with you know just uh making what I can of my life whether it's you know doing part-time work doing Mm -hmm. freelance work um or just dedicating the rest of my life to to raising awareness trying to be an inspiration and um attending events speaking at, at different events and things like that which I get the opportunity to do you know the Royal Marsden and they have a fantastic fundraising and events team and they are constantly finding events for me to speak at. Um, they've, they let me go to, they, they get tickets to really fantastic events uh, that I've, I've really loved um, attending. And it's a mutual benefit. You know, I get to go to these amazing things. They get, they get someone who's telling a pretty epic story mm-hmm. um, to, to, to inspire people to continue to fund um, uh, these cancer charity, she's um, cancer charities because the funding is just so important. It's really, really needed so that these amazing advances in technology can continue, and that that these amazing trials that one day I really hope I will be able to attend because the the reason I can't go into trials at the moment is because the only cancer that's left in my body is in my brain which keeps regrowing back and um 
unfortunately with trials in particular they say if it's anywhere else in the body we're okay to really put it into a trial but mm -hmm. you know putting you with just the cancer in your brain it's it's a little bit of a risk if it goes wrong and particularly as it's a trial you know it hasn't been proved to actually work and could mm -hmm. potentially make you worse we don't want to be the people that do that because yeah. um, it will not be good for our street cred at all. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So but, um, yeah. is there ever going to be a time where, do you, do you know, because how does germ cell um, cancer work? Is it, it, will it always come back or will there be a time it stops coming back? Well, this is the thing, you know, um, I, my understanding of what's going on in my brain is that, you know, we, we keep trying different um chemotherapies and they keep working really really well getting my cancer level down to a point which is actually considered non-cancerous as in like it's gone wow however there must be some just remnant cells that continue to remain and when we take away the chemo it just very, very slowly starts growing back and then gets faster and faster and faster. Right. Uh, and that is the frustrating thing. You know, when I was diagnosed, now I know we're running out of time, so I'll try and do this really, really quick. Mm, um, you take time. We have a tumour marker, and that's what we've used for the past four years to help to, um, to know where my cancer is at. It's a really interesting marker because it's the same marker that's used in a pregnancy test. Oh, really? uh, And that's, that's the relation to the um, germ cell um, in regards, uh, I, sorry, let me try and explain this. I found this really, really interesting because I did some research and basically, I was like, oh, the tumor cell that they use to measure for me is called beta-HCG. So mm -hmm. I, I searched beta-HCG into the, um, the internet, and it just so happens that it's the same marker that's used in a pregnancy test. So that's the correlation with the um, sex cell, the germination cell um, that I was talking about earlier. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I that wasn't very convincing. Uh, no, I'm like explained it properly. I see. No, you have. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> it's because I, this is also new to me, so it's interesting to hear. Yeah, his germ cell. I've cancer. I have to say, apart from you, I've never heard of that before. So yeah. I, I sort of understand how normal, not normal, but the you know there isn't really any sort of standard cancer, is there? But the cancers that you often hear about, they start somewhere and then they can metastasize and you know but germ cell it's 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 a new subject for me i need to of um, course yeah, get my head and, around it and so, to be honest you know <laughs> well if we think about the different types of cancers there are um there are you know i think about there's loads there's a there's more than 70 different cancers out there i'm probably really you know not not doing it justice there's probably far more than that but um mm. Like how do they know it's a germ cell cancer instead of just a different type of cancer? Um, I, I'm guessing that the the labs and the testings that they can do, um, they they have these amazing ways of just identifying what it is in the labs. Um, mm. And then once they know that it's a beta-HCG, 
marker. That's mm -hmm. what they use as the indicator for ga like, gauging where my um, my cancer is at because mm -hmm. they can count the amount of beta HCG cells that are in my blood circulating. So right. when I was diagnosed, I had 230,000 um, uh, uh, cells circulating in my blood um, relating to the tumor marker um, beta HCG. Now, that's a lot. Mm. <laughs> um, these days, we're, we're kind of hovering around the five to to 20 area so we've come a long way <sighs> but the guy opposite me when i was diagnosed and when i first was moved on to um uh onto the cancer ward um i said to him like oh i'm uh i'm you know two hundred thirty thousand on my beta hcg and he was like catch up mate i'm on one million um <laughs> and unfortunately um he's no longer with us which is oh, very very sorry. sad um no oh, no um is that hard uh, that part of the cancer the battle the seeing other people um pass? there have been a lot of there have been a lot of times when i have returned to um the ward that i was on all the time when i was coming back to uh the royal marsden in sutton um and i would always ask you know i don't know if you've seen so-and-so recently or how things are going uh and unfortunately you know there was a time when I went away for quite you know quite quite a few weeks I had a, a good break and I came back uh, I think it was over a winter a Covid winter sadly mm. which is obviously a time when it was most likely to potentially spread or happen mm -hmm. um and uh I was told that two two guys that I had shared a room with kind of they yeah that that they they have passed away due to covid both of them to covid so not actually to their cancer Gosh. um but i say but which is a terrible thing to say um uh they were actually in their 50s they were you know um germ cell cancer tends to affect people in i think the age range around 30s to 50s maybe 60s i i can't remember exactly off the top of my head but mm -hmm. um it's a it's an interesting area where where people get the um where you know it's it tends to be a, a middle age cancer mm -hmm. you don't you don't you you don't get it commonly in kids you don't get it commonly in elderly patients it's in that middle area um okay. i'm obviously at the lower end of the the area mm -hmm. um of that but uh yeah um the 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 grieving side of it um of cancer is just you know the only thing i can say is that every bit of you know inspiration and any every bit of you know sharing and caring that we do in the community of we, we call ourselves cancer warriors um you know there's hashtags for it and everything yeah um, i and, like that we have we have a huge community cancer warriors um and you know we when we lose one another we all we all feel it mm -hmm. and um and the, the, as i said the only thing that we can do is continue to 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 keep going you know listen to our doctors follow 
the evidence space and sometimes follow spiritual things follow you know i, I have actually naughtily if that's even a word it's not um i've even take started taking things like herbal supplements which normally in my professional capacity I would never be allowed to actually say to people or to a patient, oh, you can take this, um, this, this herb will mm. really help out. But as I'm, you know, I can do my own research and I'm able to now, you know, I'm able to look at papers and look at the thing, the, the reviews and the systematic um, science that, that's been properly applied and I can make my own um, views. And so, uh, you know, even I, and taking a herbal supplement which i won't i won't tell people because it'll be unprofessional well it, yeah it'll be unprofessional for me to say mm -hmm. but um uh but if there as is far as we can help as far is... as we're aware um and coincidentally since i started taking it things have vaguely improved and i don't know if this is um what's the word uh placebo effect mm -hmm. um could be but um yeah i'm gonna keep taking it because it's not expensive um and uh it seems to work um but it's not it's not curing my cancer it's just helping which mm -hmm. is that I am willing to give it a, a, a go, um, even if my doctors don't approve it. However, I was very surprised for them to say, you know what, <laughs> at this point, Alistair, in your diagnosis, if there's anything that can help, I'm all for it. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound like very hopeful, but it just kind of shows the relationship that I've got with my consultants. They're lovely. Um, oh, that's brilliant. And they know, the thing is, from, from the word go, with my consultants, they've known that I am a scientist and I am someone who treated patients. I know how to read blood blood work. I know how to do all the science stuff. They know that they can't hide stuff from me, one. And two, I, that I have full control, full control over what happens with me. If I don't like the decisions they've made, they know that I will say, no, um, I'm good. I want to do this. And <laughs> you have you have to do what I say, pretty much. Um, and they were like, fair enough. OK, we'll do that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I've been very lucky in that respect. But, um, yeah, regarding um, mushrooms, as I said, they, they're having their limelight at the moment. Um, I have found it extremely difficult to find good quality papers or science evidence of the mushrooms um mm. to to actually be able to justify them with specific treatments there's just not enough good papers out there yet so um if i was a professional like recommending you i i would say just just be careful because you don't want to be taking something that could potentially be doing um harm mm -hmm. uh 
often with herbal supplements, you know, particularly something that's natural, like a mushroom, um, you, you know, our, our, our standard advice would be you, you can try it for a, a limited time, like a month or two, but if you're not noticing any benefit, um, you, it, it's, it's probably not worth the money and it's probably uh, not, not having a, 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 good, a good effect on what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's good to know. Um, boys, so I just really want to ask um, a couple more questions. Sorry, I know we're running over time, but really Please. quickly. So the very beginning of your cancer, though, did you have any symptoms at all, do you think, when, you, when it was in your intestine? Um, so the, I did get a symptom when I was in Japan. Um, actually, and that was actually a really bad pain in my right testicle. <laughs> so I woke up at 2 a.m. in the morning with what felt like a twisted testicle. I did everything I could. Um, I had a hot bath. I went down to the foyer and said, you know, could you please call my tour guide? Um, I actually think I need to go to hospital because I was just walking around because if I stopped walking, uh, the pain was too much in my testicle. Now, I unfortunately, the moment I walked into, and here's, here's the ironic part, we were visiting Hiroshima at the time when I started receive, like started getting an ache in my testicle and I was thinking, oh no, is there like some residual radiation like <laughs> that my testicles have decided to like soak up whilst we're here. Um, ironically, as I walked through the doors of Hiroshima kind of university hospital, the pain just vanished. And um, they, they, you know, they, they admitted me to the... A&E department no one could speak a word of English um so it was everyone was speaking Japan wow Japan Japanese, Japanese. yeah and my tour guide was kind of uh communicating a little bit for me um <laughs> the the uh the thing I found the fun the the, the best <laughs> hang on I need to think of how to explain this. The thing that amused me the most is I don't think they see many white, um, tall, British, uh, Western people. So yeah. when um, when they decided to do an examination, um, the uh, there was a team of people that came to have a look. Um, and... Uh, I think the majority of them that were there were just wanting to see like what a Western like piece of anatomy looks like. Um, anyway, oh, um, look at that! They were like, "Wow, that is huge!" <laughs> but, like, <laughs> no, but anyway, um, moving on. This has become so inappropriate. Right, uh, I know way uh, too much about you now, Alistair. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I think it was just to the. Just, just to the uh, eastern. Um, <laughs> Don't put uh, yourself down. Have you got it? Flaunt it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. So they they said uh, we think you need to go um, and see your doctor when you go back home. It could be a twisted testicle, and I was like, 
okay. Um, and I was able to enjoy the rest of the holiday, which was only three more days, um, okay. and and then present. Yeah, and then my presentation started happening, and I didn't get a chance to you know think about going to the GP. I had to go straight to hospital in an Uber, and you know the rest of the story, really. But the, you said there was no cancer in the testicle, so why was the testicle in pain? This is the thing. Um, they did a, a bunch of ultrasounds to have a look in my testicles when I was back here in the UK at the Royal Marsden Hospital. And they said, mm -hmm. they look perfectly normal. You know, there, there might be like a tiny, tiny uh, cyst, but it's not cancerous or anything like that. And I was like, okay. Um, and I, I, I haven't experienced any pain like that since. It only ever happened once. But it was almost like a little warning sign that said, Alistair, it, it, again, I'm, I'm going back to this kind of miraculous, like, um, uh, it's a, bit divine, a bit spiritual, yeah. Divine, divine intervention kind of stuff. Like, yeah. it was almost a sign to go back home and get yourself, like, checked. And this is something that I think is actually very important, and I'm glad it's kind of come into conversation with us as we probably finish this this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you are ever concerned, um, first of all, make sure you know how to check yourself for the various different cancers, whether it's checking your breasts, whether it's checking your nads, whether it's <laughs> checking anything you know you can even check your ovaries by feeling them all those different types of things that it's important to check them on a monthly basis you know and I would always say that and then the second thing is get yourself checked if you're concerned so many people don't particularly men which is mm. annoying because we are just fools sometimes and another thing on top of that is if you've got the money to go private and cut the queue of waiting six months to probably get a check or something ridiculous these days, then do that as well. Um, or, or do that, you know, because it, it's just honestly worth saving your life, potentially. Um, because, you know, catching cancer too late can seriously make a big difference if you if you've let it grow or it's spread to different organs or, uh, you know, if it's got to a point where, you know, it, as I said already, um, if you can catch cancer as early as possible, the outcomes are so much better. And you, 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 you know, you, you're much more likely to, to, to survive. Mm -hmm. And um, that's really, yeah. really good advice. Thank you. What is the wait time I, like? You, you know what? Um, I I, uh, I was being sarcastic when I said six months, but sometimes I worry because all, all my family are, you know, getting to that point in their lives where I, I have a very old family. You know, my my parents are in their late 70s and, mm. you know, the, they're getting things like stuff on their skin and wanting to get things checked out. And my mum recently had to wait six months to get to see a dermatologist um, at St. George's or at, at, at local hospitals. And um, it is worrying because there have been a lot of headlines um, in the past year, really, and a little bit, a little bit 
further back than that, that that waiting times in various parts of the country are getting to a year or something ridiculous, particularly for younger people or people in certain demographic areas. And, and it is, it, I think it is very, very worrying. I, I don't know what changes are being made. Um, I've obviously been very busy focusing on my particular um, diagnosis, but this is why I've got to the point that when I'm having chats with people at social events, um, and it's you know me just saying, talking to them one on one. I I I do say, if you've got the money, do go to a to oh, a yeah. private hospital. I love the NHS. I yeah. you know I the the Royal Marsden are literally my family now. I mm. love all the nurses there. I love the doctors. I love how they've saved my life multiple times. But if you if you are worried and you know uh, or if you want to be thorough and get things checked properly for peace of mind go private yes you you might spend 100 200 500 but isn't it isn't it worth you know making sure that something's not growing or something is not gonna crop on up on you like what happened to me mm. i was perfectly healthy um planning on how to get a promotion at work planning on how to um you know uh you know potentially start thinking about having a family and then suddenly boom uh a change happened in my life which has taken away four years from me um which i will never get back um and that's that's the sum of it really yeah can i ask if you're please do let me know if you're too tired because I know that obviously this is quite a lot but um just last two questions one being what do you think helps the most to keep you in this amazing mentality do you or do you think it's your mental state that helps you the most with your cancer treatment do you think it's the diet that helps you the most or do you think it's family or do you think it's an amalgamation of all of those things I mean, obviously, the easy thing to say is it's an amalgamation of all those things, but mm. I um, I like to think that my mental fortitude uh, is a result of kind of just just the way I was, you know, I'm I'm an only child, so um, I had to entertain myself a lot. Uh, I, I haven't ever really had any siblings to support me. So um, <laughs> my, you know, my parents were my, my rocks and, um, and they, they have always supported me there. I, I like to think, this is a terrible thing to say, I like to think I have a relatively good, like, sense of humour. And that has helped me so much um, in regards to, um La laughter it heals everything um mm. and finding whether it's finding something that, that you find amusing or talking to friends that make you laugh or just um I I've always been a, a little bit of a practical joker and <laughs> despite des despite that being annoying to some people it's protected me as a patient um mm. and as a victim of cancer uh and it's got me through so much in regards to not not necessarily like making cancer a joke or anything like that but just just being able to 
to see the lighter side of of life um when when you're stuck in a rut or stuck in a dark place um and uh just things like things like the the chats with nurses banter essentially mm-hmm. those kind of things have been absolutely essential tools with what i've gone through um you could almost say flirting or something <laughs> but like it's not it's banter um <laughs> which is a <laughs> banter with the nurses has been uh, absolutely uh, really really important and i think everyone Good. will understand that mm. um but um there's an element of luck in there as well um okay. i am who i am and um uh i'm you know i i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to say that you know i could have been a worse person but <laughs> but, <laughs> but fortunately uh i'm lucky to just just have the tools that i've needed to get through this mm-hmm. um I and do think- uh the brain the mental attitude towards things this so this powerful, is in, so powerful. it's in control of everything mm. really and um, also following your instincts to take that path and your job just i am a little bit of a spiritual person and i do believe in all of this and just the fact that you almost equipped yourself before it happened it was almost like it was gonna happen but you'd like done everything you could to be knowledgeable before it even happened i don't know things like that just get to me i just can't I can't even comprehend that you just like that. I was, I, I don't know. That to me is just quite a big deal as well. But um, last question. So obviously you inspire a lot of people. You, you know, you're here, you're talking, you're telling your story. You're still alive. You're still going, you're still fighting and let's pray and hope you're going to fight it completely. And you're going to come back in a, a year's time right. and tell me you've managed to get a sperm bank going and you're, you're ready yeah. to go. And you've, you know, you <laughs> back into your life a bit more, but um what who inspires you to keep going who inspired me to keep going so you know um there's so many there's so many people that i could say right now you know ranging from goodness like right right at the beginning of my my journey um there was a famous cyclist lance armstrong so Mm. he had the same uh germ cell cancer as myself uh he had a very different treatment though they decided to instead of going through the whole chemo route those kind of different things they went straight for surgery and he had a egg-sized tumor removed from his brain um and he recovered really really well and went on to win another um tour de france now me knowing that there had been cases like that. Now, Louis Armstrong is um, obviously... Lance Armstrong, sorry. Lance Armstrong. No, don't be sorry. (laughs) I get it because I love Louis Armstrong and he's a great singer. (laughs) Great artist. um, Lance Lance, Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Um, um, You know, that being, you know, an elite athlete is obviously not... You you can't compare him to my... I can't compare him to myself because I'm not an elite athlete but it it made me realize that you know people can achieve some amazing things and someone had done it in particular with my particular 
cancer. And that was something that definitely inspired me in one way. But otherwise, um, the, the people that there have been so many different inspirations. I think, I think when when you go to these cancer hospitals and you see the pediatric cases, all of them with their little nasogastric tubes, and think about the fact that they are always smiling and they are always laughing, and they're going through radiotherapy, they're going through. Uh, chemo, they're going through all these horrific treatments at the age of five, at the age of, you know, these, these, they're, they're too young to like, it's not fair for them to be going through these treatments, and they just take it and take it and take it. And, you know, they've got really horrible cases of, you know, blood cancers, leukemia, um, and they're just smiling and laughing still with the people and you hear about their stories and they get through these cancers. Those, those kids have, have been a major inspiration to me. It almost brings a tear to my eye. Like when I, when I talk to talk about them, because I've seen them so many times and like, I always want to like give them a high five or like, you know, just, um, just try and share that we're all going through the same thing. And it's not fair, and it's especially not fair for them. And they've been a huge inspiration for me. I think I I know I know that everyone will share this feeling, but when they see uh, a child with cancer, a pediatric case, you just suddenly feel like in awe at how mm. they take it. Uh, so they've been a huge inspiration. Um, otherwise. Um, I, I don't know, this is going to sound really, really selfish, but I've just been so self, um, not obsessed, but like self-focused on myself. Mm, you're and, inspiring yourself. And following, yeah, but that's that's such a cop-out of an answer. It's not, like, that's actually, <laughs> that's amazing though, that you, like, you inspire yourself to keep going. That's like the most strength and most amazing person i mean you're inspiring well, me like you're inspiring well, me so many people you should inspire yourself as well well if i can say that then i will because the thing that i wanted to do you know you heard what i was thinking when i was told about my diagnosis i was thinking instead of being distraught and being and feeling negative about what was happening instead i was thinking okay how can i beat this by the book how can I use all the tools that I've been given over the past few years of treating these patients, of comforting these patients, flipping it on its head and applying it to myself? And as a result, I've got this far, I'm four years down the line, I'm still feeling strong, I'm starting to go back to the gym, I have lost a lot of muscle, but I know how to build it back. Mm. And throughout the whole experience, I have been giving medical uh, nutritional advice to people sitting in the beds next to me. Whether they're listening to me or not, I don't know. But I've been like, come on, guys, we've got to make sure that you finish the protein on your plate. That's the most important thing. Then comes, you know, the other things. But most of all, you've got to get that protein in there to maintain your muscle mass because we don't want sarcopenia happening. We don't want you to lose your, your muscle mass because then you won't be able to tolerate your next treatment and if you can't tolerate your next treatment 
then things are not going to, you know, it, you, you're going to lose your strength. So, mm. you know, I would be, I would be giving like patients like uh, nutrition advice. So yeah, I, I've, I've done a lot of, I've been, I've been trying to inspire myself in so many different ways. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to take a little bit of credit. Um, and thank you for reminding me that I should be taking mm. it. Yeah, thank you for that. When you listen back to this, you'll be reminded again, I'm sure. <laughs> so thank you.